chapter 23. Jeremiah 23. We'll begin reading at verse 23 down to verse Uh, 29, oh, oh, 29. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 through 29. When you have it, let it be known by saying, Amen. just for letting us be in this moment we worship you for this moment oh God now speak spirit of the living God speak as only you can empower us liberate us free us break the bonds of our minds and our hearts and repair the breach that has been made to try to keep us away from you we stand ready to receive your blessed holy word this morning and oh God, this your servant asks that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are my rock and my redeemer. I ask this in your name, O oh God. With love and adoration, we bless you. Hallelujah. Come on, give God some praise. Lord, I love.
everybody else loves me, God, I know you love me so much. When I feel so alone, when I feel so isolated, when I feel so neglected, I know that you love me so much. undeserving of it but he loves us so much Jeremiah chapter 23 as we lifted up those verses before we want to talk to you this morning from the subject weak words make weak people weak words make weak people now see I've had a few weeks where I didn't have to preach. I've had a few weeks where I could just relax and just be fed. Y'all don't know what it's like. I, I've, I've gotten away and you know, I, I've, I've been to some places where I could just soak in what the Lord was saying to me outside of my own personal time with him. And as I was as I was reading and going through the lectionary reading for, uh, I can't even think it was this week or last week, I, I can't recall, but the text from Jeremiah, uh, this text was one of the texts that I was reading in my meditation. And I, I have come across this text so long. And if you read Jeremiah chapter 23, it starts off talking about the shepherds and how the shepherds had gotten away. And the term shepherds referred to the leadership, not necessarily pastors. And, and we've used that word in the wrong context, referring to shepherds in this chapter of Jeremiah as shepherds, as Paul talked about in the New Testament. And they're not the same, on the same even linguistic or uh, gift level. But he was talking about leadership and how, in particular, the kings and the nobles of Israel uh, had gotten so far away from where they were supposed to be, and they were leading the people in the same manner. And while we, the, some commentators suggest that Jeremiah was talking about a particular king, Zedekiah, more than likely, or, uh, other kings of this time who basically were selling their soul for a little whatever. And Jeremiah being the weeping prophet, being the one who had been called even in the womb of God, sensed the greatness of God's calling and presence and the need for the people to, to turn to God. And they shunned him. They hated him for it. They despised him. They, they, they didn't want to hear his message. And yet he continued to prophesy. And he said, I wish I could stop with his like fire shut up in my bones. And so here in chapter 23, we find three separate oracles that, that Jeremiah presents in this text. The first deals with the, the shepherds, those who were in leadership that were leading people the wrong way. And then in the second part of the oracle, he talks about the prophets who were basically lying on behalf of God, who, who were saying God told them this and God hadn't said anything. And now in this part of the verse, beginning at verse 23, he's still within the, the framework and construct of the prophets. But now he's saying they're prophets who are dreaming dreams. Yeah. 
And God said, it's all right, good, dream your dreams, but if it ain't in line with me, don't say anything. And I am afraid to say what I'm about to say, not because of what it means or what it is, it's the truth. We got a lot of lying prophets. It ain't popular. You, you, let, me, let me tell you, see, see, because I started preaching so young, I picked up on a lot of popular preacher sayings. Phraseologies that I could integrate into the sermon. I knew the folk was going to say amen back to because they heard it before. And the more they've heard it, the more it becomes a part of the language of the preacher. Right? And most of it is wrong. But it's familiar and it's going to get somebody to say amen. Might get somebody shot, shouting and it's definitely going to fill the pockets of the preacher. I, I've, been, I've been in services and I know some of you have too where you're wondering what in the world are they talking about? They have nothing to say but they're saying a whole lot. And it grieves me because I've contributed to it over the years. Now, as long as I've been preaching, I've been saying stuff that I know, now know was wrong. Lord have mercy. And I've been having to be corrected about some of the things that I've stated from the pulpit as fact that was wrong. It was just more tradition than anything. And now we're in the era of the church, particularly in the American church, particularly in the U.S. church, particularly in the black U.S. church, where we are in dire need of some real food. We have a whole lot of babies in congregations who are still on milk. Uh, the Bible says this now that, that there, are, there are people who are desiring strong meat but they can't take the strong meat because they like the milk too much. And when, when milk, when the meat is presented to them, they get offended because it requires too much of them. Just make me feel good, shout, run, speak in tongues, do all this, and I'm going to go home and be the same way until next Sunday. Don't talk about me having to repent. Don't talk about me having to confess. Don't talk about me getting right with God, for real, for real. Jeremiah was presenting this, if I can make this contextually relevant for today, Jeremiah's voice is necessary for us today because we got a whole lot of showmans and nobody getting showed anything. When I was in graduate school, the first, my, my degree was in music theory and composition. But my minor, because I had to have a minor, was in rhetoric and writing. And I learned rhetorical criticism. I learned all the stuff about linguistics that we don't really think about. I learned how, 
how I can manipulate words to get a reaction. And y'all don't know, a lot of us preachers, we use rhetorical devices. We know how to get you to do what we want you to do. That, and it, it makes you work too much. Just <laughs> touch your neighbor. Slap your neighbor on the hand. Stand up, spin around three times. Y'all been in some churches like that. You know, the rhetorical devices that we use can get us into the service, but distract us from the presence of God. Y'all hear what I just said? It will get us into the service, but distract us from the presence of God. Because God's presence don't always mean that we're going to be shouting. God's presence don't always mean that we're going to be falling out. God's presence don't always mean that the preacher is going to be yelling and screaming and hooping and hollering. Sometimes God's presence is nothing but silence while he speaks because he speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing. I wish somebody would. And, and so, so I, learned, I learned rhetorical devices and how to use them in my writing and in my public speaking. And it, it has come in very handy because, as you can see now, I've still been preaching nearly 30 years later. And then recently I came across a book that was written in early 2000. And the book was written by William Lutz. And the book is called Doublespeak. And the, the book Doublespeak details four types of double speech that we've all, we're all very familiar with. First one is called euphemism, one is called jargon, the other one is called googly gook. I thought that was funny. And then he speaks, the last one is inflated language. And we, we understand euphemism because we use that in our everyday language. We, you, we use all the, well, at least the euphemism, we use this in our everyday language as we try to describe something, as we say, you know, we might say the bird's hair, you know. You know I can't give a good analogy, but y'all, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we're trying to describe something, we, we may exaggerate it just a bit. Kind of, you know, if you're trying to sell a car, say, oh yeah, that baby runs good. And it don't really run all that hot. <laughs> oh, you might say, yeah, my wife looks look fire today. You're telling her that because, no, let me move on. I ain't got a wife. I can't talk. <laughs> but we use euphemism. We use, we, 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 we hear jargon all the time. And jargon is just what it sounds like, a bunch of nothing. And the thing we googly gook is probably this pretty much similar to jargon. It's a bunch of nothing, and y'all probably heard it said before. But the one that gets us within the church spectrum is the one that I wanted to address, and the one that that Jeremiah, if I can use this to correlate with the text, Jeremiah is implying that prophets were using at that time, and that was inflated speech. Inflated speech is simply saying a bunch of stuff sound good when you can say it simply. So if I would say this, the exegetical rhetoric found in the text here conjugates the verbiage of the prophet as he was returning from and converging upon the thought that the people needed to read and hear God's word. 
explained more coherently within the context of dreams and visions. That sounded so intelligent, didn't it? Both of y'all probably had no idea what I said. But it sure made me sound smart, didn't it? I can't say it again. I ain't gonna try to say it again. But it's just an inflated view, it's this inflated use of God's word that has people in the church so messed up, weak, and bound that they have no idea what's really going on. Marvin Gaye wrote a song, What's Going On? Mama, mother, he told, he, he used the rhetoric of the moments and the experiences people were facing and put them to music and people began to reframe how they saw circumstances as not just being something normal but abnormal that needed to be changed. And unfortunately in the church, we need more voices like Marvin Gaye. Sister, sister on the P, what's really going on? Your home ain't the same, and you come in here and you find the preacher hitting on you just like he's hitting on every other person. Not here, I'm just saying. Brother, brother, what's going on? You're full of anger, and you, you got it at the house, and you acted up, and you come to the church, and, and you find the same type of attitude, and you're reacting the same way. What's really going on? Because nobody's offering you love and bringing into you the heart of God who says, if you love me, I will show compassion to you. What's, what's really going on? We're living in a time where there's a trend where people are leaving the church and the faith because it's no longer making sense to them. It's not making sense, not because they're reading the Bible. It's making sense because they are reading the Bible and what they're finding in the Bible is not being reflected in the people who the Bible says they are to have fellowship with. Lord have mercy. So the, the author here says, verse 23, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel the heavens and the earth declare? Did I even read the scripture? I didn't read it, did you? <laughs> well, y'all got it, so... So y'all can read it in your own time. All right. God says, God asks four questions in this text that we're looking at between verse 23 and 29. Uh, actually, really five, but I condensed them into four. First question he asks is, am I a God who is close or far away? And I, 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 I say, you got to remember, God is always in your listening range. God is always in your presence. God is always up in your space. God is not far away. Sometimes we think he is when we don't get the consequences of stuff we think he don't see. But God is always close and, and he is intimately involved in our lives. He's not some cosmic genie in the bottle. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. 
So verse 24 is the second question he asked is can a man hide from me? Now, in this modern world, we would say we would say, yeah, because we don't see folk getting struck by lightning or anything for stuff we know that God does not approve of or what we believe scripture infers that should not be done. You know, we used to have a fear of God, <laughs> a fear of God. I grew up in age and when it was thundering and lightning, they were so afraid of God, turning off everything. Now we knew God didn't have anything to do with electricity, but hush up, it's thundering, God is talking. Lord have mercy. And now, now the question, the question is, can we hide from God where he doesn't see us? The, I, I counter that by saying we can't hide from God because he's intimately acquainted with us. Before we were born, while we were yet in our mother's room, as he told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. While you were in the secret places, in the hidden places of your mother's womb, I was well acquainted with you then. If you think I ain't now, something wrong. So God is not far from it. God, God, God is not ignorant to all of the gibberish, the googly goop, all the other things that are being said in his name. Which brings us to verse 25, 26, 27. Listen to what he says. I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesied falsely in my name, saying, I have a dream. I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of deception by their own heart, who intend, and this is what got me, they intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they share with each other. But it's far from me. Now, this, this is where it grieves me as a, as a preacher, as a pastor. Because I know Negroes and Negrettes <laughs> who stand behind a pulpit week after week saying stuff God ain't never said to them. Some of them have intentionally mis man uh, manipulated the word of God for filthy gain. Yeah. And I ain't talking about Doc, uh, was it Reverend Ike? Y'all remember Reverend Ike? At least Reverend Ike was honest about his. Yeah. At least Reverend Ike wanted you to know, I'm in this for the money. And you gonna help me make more money. And if you're lucky, you might get to be like me one day but I ain't gonna help you you can help me though but we've got charlatans who would rather say words that they are they know are intentionally leading people away from God than drawing them closer to God it's a crisis in the church because we have prophets using weak words and they're making the people weak because the people ain't no, are very, very few are really searching the scriptures for themselves. A lot of people in churches are just waiting for the preacher to say something. And they're going to use the text the preacher say, well, the preacher said this is what it is. 
Instead of coming to Bible study, Sunday school, and fellowshipping with one another, and searching like the Bereans, searching the scriptures for themselves, they are just going to say, well, the preacher said it, so it must be true. You'd be surprised how many cults we got that ain't crazy cults. They just church cults. How many folk would really follow a preacher that follow God? When Paul uses the terms, follow me as I follow Christ, he was not insinuating that I am a celebrity and I am the way that can, I am the only one who can show you where you need to go. He was saying, no, as I follow Christ, you should see me demonstrating what you ought to do. Just as John demonstrated to Jesus and just as Jesus demonstrated to his disciples and just as Jesus instructed his disciples to demonstrate to others that they may believe all the same. I guarantee you can go to any church, any Sunday, you don't hear it. You ain't gonna hear nothing the same. It doesn't matter where it is. And the shameful thing is we have built our pride on this. Jeremiah wants us to know that the right speaker will bring the right results. Verse 28, he says, the prophet who has dreamed a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. Let the prophet who has my word speak my word in truth. Not on how I feel about it. Not on what is popular in the moment, but on the truth. And here's the thing, the truth does not change. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Preacher, what you mean? But, 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 but the, the, the truth does change because, you know, God said such and such was an abomination. And now we're seeing even preachers living in such and such lifestyle, so God must have changed. But preacher, apparently the word has changed because the Bible says, do not commit adultery, do not commit fornication. If a man sees a woman and lusts after he's done that, but, but you know, you were lusting this morning and, and you didn't do anything, nothing happened to you. Amen, lights. But God's word is the same. And even as a preacher, if I am going to be consistent with his word, I must realize that his word is first truth that does not change. So that means if it's going to convict the person outside the wall that I want them to see in the church, it has to convict me in the church behind the pulpit too. And lastly is... What he says in verse 28, the latter, the latter part of verse 28 and the latter part of and the entirety of verse 29. Listen to what he says in verse, the B part of 28 and the entire verse of 29. The B part of 28 says this. What does straw have in common with grain, with grain declares the Lord? 
Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. Now let me get this, because I, I didn't really intend for it to be this long, so let me hurry up and try to condense this as best I can. The analogy or the metaphor of straw and wheat. All of us eat wheat at one point in time. If you like bread, you gotta eat bread. You like grains, you, you, eat, you eat that. But I bet you if I tell you to go outside and eat grass, and say that grass is just gonna be as healthy as the, the, the wheat that makes your bread, what would you say to me? You would think I'm crazy. You would say, no, 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 you don't eat grass because grass was not meant to be eaten. Well, tell that to my dog Jackson and he'll, he'll understand. The, the, the metaphor or the analogy of the straw and the wheat, Jesus also uses it when he said the wheat and the tares in one of his parables. He also uses it in separation of the sheep and the goat. What he is stating basically is that there's one thing that can give you substance and fulfill you, engage you, and make you better. The other one is not worth it at all. And there is a lot of us who go to church not really wanting to be fed. We go to be entertained. We go to be, be in fulfillment of fellowship or social, whatever it may be. But we're not getting the nourishment that God desires for us to have. Either by the prophet, the preacher, the pastor standing there, and he can show who be yeah. I know he's all right. Yeah. You can get all that. But then he comes back and says, but that's not what my word is called to do. That's not my word. That's not what my word do. My word goes in and it is like fire and a hammer. It burns and it chisels away. It should convict us every time. I, I get to the point now when I'm walking just, when I'm walking sometimes even to the stairs leading to my office, I get this sense of reverence that I am walking into God's house. And sometimes it, it kind of quickens me because I'm like, but my office ain't the sanctuary. <laughs> Y'all get that later. And then I have to realize, no, this entire building, the entire grounds, with all of this, the moment we come around the corner, we should begin to sense that we are coming to the Lord's house. And when we walk in those doors, it doesn't matter what the music sounds like or what the choir, which choir is singing on which Sunday, we should all come for the same purpose. The same purpose is to be fed by God and transformed by his word where it chips away at the things, that sin that so easily besets us. And yes, as much as we like to admit that we're better than other folks, we are all sinners. And in our best, our righteousness is like filthy wags, and we can all be renewed every day when we encounter God's word the way it's supposed to be encountered. So, I close 
Let's just say, weak words make weak people. How do we change that? Well, for me, as a preacher, I know I can change that by better engaging the Word of God itself. But not just being, you know, haphazard, reading scripture, trying to figure out what I'm going to preach this Sunday and say how I'm going to preach this Sunday. But literally getting in the word as Paul, as the author in Psalms write, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word should engage me. Your word should burn away all of those things that would cause me to flee from you but would draw me closer to you. You are not a God that is far away, but a God who is near. The more we get in the word, we ain't gotta rely on the preacher. I've been in congregations where the people knew a little bit more than me as a pastor. And what made me, well, it hurt my ego, I ain't gonna lie. It hurt my ego but it made me realize these were some people who were serious about their purpose. We can no longer afford to be a church of weak words and weak people. As we see in our day-to-day reality that we must be the people empowered by the word to speak truth to power. We can't speak truth to power and injustice when we in ourselves are still not in justice with God. We cannot speak truth to power when we ourselves have not engaged the power to give us the words to preach. We cannot be weak because folk are leaving the church. Sometimes it's good to leave the church. Some folk in the church get on my nerves. Not here, not here. Not here. It's okay, but we can't be weak because if we believe that we are in the last days, if we believe where we are, if we are serious about believing that one day Christ is coming back for a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, then we should be that church. And that church is not a weak church because our God is not a weak God. Our Christ is not a weak Christ. And we, as his, his disciples, are not weak disciples. So, it's time now for us to be weak people. It's time now that as a church, we should be tired of weak words that make us weak people. Let's pray. God, just as you gave the word to Jeremiah, and just as you told him, to tell those prophets, those shepherds, those dreamers that they were not who they thought they were. Help us to find ourselves in this place, not me just as a preacher, but all of us. Help us to find our weakness so that we can be empowered by you to serve this present age, our calling for fulfill. God, give us the reason, give us the purpose, give us the power to do your will. Help us to carry out the very words that we sang this morning, the charge to keep that we have. 
the God to glorify the souls who are dying on their way to hell and have no idea. Help us not to give them weak words and make them weak people. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. As we prepare to extend the invitation to Christian discipleship.